Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So over the past few weeks, um, one, one of the points that Pastor Ryan pulled out from um, finishing Ephesians 4 and, and going through the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 is ultimately the truth that for us to imitate Christ we need intimacy with Christ. I was like, whoo, that's a good word, Pastor Ryan. For us to imitate Christ, we need intimacy. Pastor Duell, uh, he challenged us with God's word, and he said, if we're not living life led by the Spirit, then the fact remains that we're just being led astray, right? We're just being led astray. So I'm grateful for you guys in, in communicating God's word. And today, we continue in our series titled Race to Life. And ultimately, what we're doing is we're just going through the entire book of Ephesians verse by verse. So I'm going to close out chapter 5 this morning. What I plan to do is read the passage in its entirety, we'll pray, and then we'll take the rest of our time together unpacking that verse. That sound okay? All right. Uh, So Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33, it says this, And further, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to believers. I believe this, what, what, and the commands he's giving these believers are still for today. He says, and further, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Verse 22, he says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything, in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Verse 31, he closed out with these last three verses. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. He said, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife. This is, this is key. Each man must love his wife. And then Paul gives the wife a different command. Uh, says, each man must, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Respect her husband. Um, I've decided to title this message the provocative name of the S word. The S word. So if you're taking notes, you can title your notes the S word. And if that offended you, we're only getting started. Welcome to Destiny Church. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present and at work uh, in the inner being of your people. I pray as the seed of your word goes forth, uh, would it land in the soil of our hearts and grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to hear your word. We want to be doers of your word. So use it. uh, Help us to be sensitive. Father, you know specifically my prayer for this message as we talk about marriage is that we would avoid the cliches. Uh, I pray that people would have open hearts and open ears this morning. I pray that you would give couples revelation, husbands and wives revelation of their roles, and that you would challenge every believer in the room. It's in your holy and mighty name I ask. Amen. So obviously when I, you know, when I say the S word, I'm I'm talking about that dirty, painful, make your skin crawl, ain't nobody telling me what to do word we've all just agreed to call submission, right? Submission. Um, 
especially in our culture right now, this is just a dirty word. Submission, it's a dirty word. I think, you know, coming out on the, on the tail end of an incredible spicy political season, right? I, I think the mentality that seems to be uh, resonating with Americans most is really the reciprocal of submission. It's like, you know, it's more of this charge to rise up, right? I mean, we can, we, can, we can go look, we can go look out in culture, we can look on the news, we can look at our social media platforms, whatever it might be. It's like, come on, rise up. Let your voice be heard. Don't submit to the authorities in our towns, in our nations. Take a stand. Don't comply. And whether we realize it or not, believers, I think sometimes we can subconsciously solidify the false truth that submission is synonymous with weakness, acting cowardly, and it's foolish. And I think sometimes we come into agreement that rebellion is synonymous with strength, grit, fervor, and passion. Now, don't get it twisted and before we start getting offended, I believe, I am passionate, I will be out on the front lines leading and rebelling against, warring against, rebuking all evil in its every form. I believe especially as believers, we should love, we should lead the way in loving people so much we want everyone to experience justice. I believe we should love people so much we not only fight for life on our social media platforms, but we provide sacrificial solutions to the lives that we're fighting for, right? I believe that we should love people we should love God so much that we want God's goodness. You know, if there's anything that wars against his goodness and his truth from flourishing in our communities, I believe we need to rise up against it. I believe that, you know, we are called as believers to rise up. Proverbs 28 says the righteous are as bold as a lion. We, we look in the books of Acts, Acts 1.16, it says, I will not be ashamed about the good news of Jesus Christ. Just a couple chapters later in Acts, you see Peter and James walking down the road, and it says that people were legitimately astonished when they looked at them because of their boldness. In fact, people could tell that they had been with Jesus. We've been called as believers to be bold. We've been called as believers to be loud about our love for people, not our opinion. We've been called as believers to be loud about our Lord, not our opinion, right? And I think sometimes as believers, sometimes as Christians, sometimes as the church, we seem to struggle to discern the difference. And we actually end up hindering our witness. Now, I'm not saying Jesus won't offend you because truth is offensive, and I think the scripture is the most offensive thing on earth. I do. It's saying you're broken, you're wrong, and you need saving. That's offensive, right? I also think our opinion is offensive, but the difference between the two is unlike the word, our opinions aren't always bathed in truth and grace. And I see in, I see in John 1.14, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. The word of God, Jesus, was full of grace and full of truth. And I think all of this is the reason this word submission is so distasteful, not just for women. I think sometimes it's distasteful for men. We like to be the boss. Wives, y'all enjoy being bossy. We, we like to be right. Husbands, y'all like to be right, okay? In, in, the, in, in the reversal, okay? Vice versa. Uh, other, other people are wrong and stupid. We would never say anything wrong or stupid, right? You, you know what? You know why I think we struggle with submission? 
because we struggle to be like Jesus. I think at the end of it, because what I observe in the life of Jesus is Jesus had a preference. But Jesus wasn't so emotionally and passionately attached to his own opinion that it hindered God's will from taking place in his life. And the example that I use is Jesus in the garden. And I know y'all probably saw it coming, but that's okay. Jesus in the garden, right? Jesus is literally weeping. He has three of his disciples watching him while he prays. It says that he's so anxious, his sweat is to the point of like blood, right? This is not something Jesus is excited about going to. He says, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. But what? But your will be done. Your will be done. Now understand, Jesus, Jesus embraced controversy. He was loud about truth. He, he was loud about the things of God, regardless whose feathers it ruffled. Yet the fact remains, ultimately, we struggle with submission because we struggle to be like Jesus. We struggle to be like Jesus. As your pastor, as your spiritual leader who desires to steward the word of God um, with fervor and grit and, and, and passion, I want to more than suggest, I want to submit this morning, See what I did there? <laughs> I want to submit that submission is special, spiritual, and synonymous with strength when it's led by the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. I want to submit that submission is special, spiritual, and synonymous with strength when it's led by the Spirit. Pastor Mark, submission is it's going to make me look and feel weak. That's okay, baby. Right? Because your weakness is a platform for God's power. That's Bible. In our weakness, he is made strong. Amen? And ultimately, what we see in Ephesians 5 is there is a calling on the life of every believer to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our submission is worship. It's not a dirty word. It's beautiful. Submission really is beautiful, and it's something that we really need to adopt um, as believers. Ephesians 5.21, it says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Now, now, just so we're not confused, I read this and I, and I struggled with verse 21 because I'm thinking, okay, I, I get it, but if we're all submitting to each other, how is anything productive going to get done? How are we going to have like any compass of where to go and what to do? No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. It's like, all right, quit submitting to each other. You know what I'm saying? Paul, Paul what, do you, what do you mean submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? So I decided to do a little word study. I'm like, let's, let's get to the root of it. Let, let's figure out, Paul, in the original text, because maybe, you know, in our language, that word is submit, but maybe it's something different of that time. What was Paul really, when he said submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, what, what was that word that he used? What, he was, what was he trying to communicate exactly? Because um, just to be frank, I, I read it, and I'm like, Paul, I just, I don't understand. And I think maybe you guys read that verse, and you think the same thing as me. Um, you know, I actually read in a leadership book one time that a leader is the one who's willing to say publicly what everyone else is whispering privately. So there we go. That's maybe why I'm the leader, because I said it, y'all were thinking it. That's a free nugget right there. Anyways, word study. Here's what I found. That word submit, the original word was hupatasso. Hupatasso. And the definition, I looked at all types of definitions for it. It means to arrange under, to put in subjection to, to subject oneself, obey, to submit to one's control, to obey. Okay, maybe it means submit to one another. <laughs> maybe that's what he meant to say. Furthermore, the, the definition specifically was 
This word was a Greek military term, meaning to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Hupatasso, submit. In a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. I I don't think Paul's anti-leadership, I think there's a message he's trying to convey to the believers. And, And this is what he's telling them to do. Deeply, deeply honor everyone. Same believers. Deeply, deeply honor everyone. And then Paul quickly pivots and, and he starts talking to the believers and he, and, and he, he starts giving instruction to specifically um, a couple that has two believers in it, what the, what the roles of the wife is and what the role of, of the husband is. And, and he starts to break this down because remember, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians chapter one, we, we received, we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good walk. Ephesians 3.20, he's the God of more than we could ever ask or imagine. Chapters one, two, and three, come on, God gave us some incredible truths of what it means to be united with Christ, like what that means for us, how drastically and dramatically life changes when we put our faith in Jesus. He's like, man, it doesn't get any better than this. But then, you know, but he wanted us to understand the relationship before we understood the rules. But chapters four, five, and six is here's some practical living for the church to be mature. We talked about that. And and I think it's interesting that out of you know, in this very specific, very targeted array of things that, that Paul throws out for the body to be mature, one of the things he finds imperative, vital to mention, is for the home to be healthy. More specifically, for the marriages in the church to be healthy, and then he gives us some clear instruction on how that can happen and what that should look like, right? So husbands, say yeah. Look at your wife. Say, get ready, baby girl. Y'all are no fun. Here we go. <laughs> Let's talk about the role of the wife. Ephesians 5, through 24 says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. But Pastor Mark, okay, I'd be willing to submit to my husband if he'd actually perform in his role as head of the household, okay? Pastor Mark, he does a good job providing for us financially and you know, leading in that area, but I'm probably more of the spiritual leader. I'm not gonna expect you know, I'm not going to expect that out of him. Or, you, don't underst- you don't understand how he treats me, okay? <laughs> and you don't understand how he treats our kids. I would never submit to a man like that. <laughs> I, I, I struggle to submit to my husband because fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Matter of fact, I'd go as far to say, wives, y'all are probably justified to not submit to your husbands. They've probably given you plenty of reason to not submit to your husbands. But wives in the room, I want you to listen to me with a humble and open heart right now. It is wrong. It's wrong to not honor, respect, and submit to your husband because of conditional reasoning. 
wives, I, I, I think we have something for you. Like, yeah, my husband is such an idiot, but I love him. <laughs> you know? And, it, and it's funny we laugh, and, it, and it's so true, because wives, y'all don't struggle with unconditional love. We know, yeah, I love him no matter what, but he's a big fool, you know? You don't struggle with unconditional love, but you do struggle with unconditional respect. And that's a command. In fact, you've convinced yourself what you think is truth, you've got to earn respect, right? This mentality of, you, no, you want me to respect you? You want me to submit? you got to earn it. No he, no, he doesn't. That's not what the word says. Matter of fact, Ephesians 5.33, the last verse of this chapter, says, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. Wives, respect your husbands. It's a command. doesn't say, respect your husband when he acts right. doesn't say that. In fact, if we walked around this earth, if we went into our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools, and we said, I will respect, honor, and love you when you treat me right, we'd never show anybody Jesus. Woo! This is good. Why do, you think, why do you think the Holy Spirit gives you the fruit of situational control, the ability to control everything else in, in, in your husband? He doesn't. What does he give you? Self-control. The Holy Spirit's given us the ability to have self-control, right? So, so I think sometimes we're like, Pastor Mark, that sounds good, but do you actually think that I can unconditionally? Yeah, because through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can respect people who mistreat us, and we saw Jesus do it all the time. Of course we can. Of course it's realistic, right? The, the Holy Spirit has empowered us with the fruit of self-control, Ladies, I, I, I understand that you're in this room this morning and you know how to make your marriage more fruitful than God. I understand that. But could I just suggest, may, maybe I just, I, I just want to challenge you in your thinking that with, with what Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Come on, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I know it feels like he should earn your respect, but he doesn't have to. We just need to give it. We just need to give it. It's been commanded of you. Your job is not to control or try to manipulate your husband's behavior. Your biblical, God-ordained role as a wife is to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate self-control within you and to empower you to submit to your husband. What I, what I want to make clear, what I want to challenge the women in the room with, is this verse isn't telling all women to submit to all men. This is, this is a marriage. This is in the context of marriage for the wife to submit to her husband. This verse isn't telling you men are better than women. That's not what this verse is communicating. This verse isn't suggesting women aren't uniquely spiritually gifted and empowered for kingdom work. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse isn't declaring that this is a man's world, right? Come on, y'all, y'all can laugh, okay? This is specifically for marriage. Because we see tons of women in the scriptures who are spiritually gifted and used by God in mighty ways. And listen, just because you're called to submit to your husband, that doesn't mean like you, women, you've been called to live this spiritually dormant life. We've been talking about God has equipped the church. He's equipped men and women, his kids, with his Holy Spirit. He has gifted you through his Holy Spirit to fulfill a specific role in the body. Y'all, we, we don't got time for a church full of spiritually dormant women. 
right? But for the church to be mature, we need a, a, a church full of women who submit to their husbands, though. It's what we need. Paul's just suggesting that in the singular context of marriage, submit to your husband because God designed marriage to be most fruitful, most harmonious when you do. In a book I've been reading, I read it over quarantine because I had lots of time. Um, so I, yeah, I knew this verse was coming up. I, I spent some time. It's a book by Dr. Emerson. It's called Love and Respect. Is anyone familiar with it? Em, em, nope. Okay. Here we go. Got one. Praise God. So, th- you know, the whole premise of the book is really built around Ephesians 5.33, which says, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. Wives, respect your husbands. So I think it's so interesting. And, and he basically highlights and identifies how Paul uses a different command for wives than he does for husbands, even though those roles seem to be, you know, similar. And as he goes through the book, he just suggests that women respond best to unconditional love. Women want to be loved. We all do, and we all need love, and we've all been called to love. But it's interesting, he he highlights that, he says, and wives respect your husbands. And I think there's something about In the nature of who God has created us as men, there's something that respect does to our spirit and to our soul. You know, we were were on this retreat and one of the pastors was being vulnerable and and he talked about how 30 years, you know, into marriage and ministry, he, you know, he he drops the ball, he messes up and and he gets with the secretary, right? Cheats on his wife with the secretary. And we see this time and time again. Why is it always the secretary? Yes, sir, you gotcha. I'll do, it's respect. You know, I, I was just thinking about that. Now, obviously, that's like, you know, stereotypical. And, I, and I, you guys see my heart, though, you know? I think there's something that, that, that feeds the soul of a man that's specifically related to respect. Anyways, um, Ephesians 5.33, right? It says, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And the author, you know, he, he's a pastor, he's a counselor, he's a doctor, obviously. He, he, he draws to the conclusion that men's deepest, really, you know, part of our deepest desire is to be respected and women's deepest desire is to be loved. And at one point in the book, he, he has this sit-down counseling session with this woman and her and her husband, they travel around and they do, you know, marriage conferences and marriage retreats and stuff like that. Like one of their primary ministries is based around ministering to couples. And she found that even implementing all the content that they've been giving to other people, she, she finds something to be stale and missing in her own marriage. So he has this conversation with her and, and shares about this concept. He challenges her, I bet you unconditionally love your husband, but do you unconditionally respect your husband? You know, she never really heard it like that. She's like, oh. So she, she leaves the meeting, and it, and it says she goes to her house. Her husband was away, and he comes into the house, and she says to her husband, honey, she goes, I laid down today. And she goes, and I thought about all the things I respect about you. And he was totally unfazed. Right? She's like, wow, that didn't work. Life goes on. Shortly after that, husband comes back in from a hunting trip, starts having a conversation with his wife. He says, honey, he goes, today I was, I was in the blind. I had a blast, but I really wished you were there with me. I sat in that blind all day, and I, I thought about you all day, and I just thought about how sweet of a girl you are. 
And literally in the book, it says when, when, when her husband said this to her, she wanted to burst out loud laughing, thinking how sweet of a girl I am. But then she goes, but I can't help but admit how, how fun it is to be loved. Right? It's this incredible illustration. She literally wrote, I, I wanted to burst out laughing at the fact that he said that, but she couldn't help but admit how fun it is to be loved. Wives, wives I want to challenge you, submit to your husbands. Love them, yes. Unconditionally love them, yes. But intentionally honor and deeply respect them regardless of if they're deserving or not. Wives, submit to your husbands. I pulled this from a commentary I was using to prepare this message. It says the command is unqualified, applying to every Christian wife, no matter what her own abilities, education, knowledge of scripture, spiritual maturity, or any other qualifications might be in relation to those of her husband. The submission is not the husband's to command, right? It's not our job to force it, you know, but for the wife to willingly and lovingly offer. Wives, your submission to your husbands is worship. It's worship. I'll leave you with this. The Christian wife who promises to submit does so because it's her vow unto the Lord. Now, husbands, dear Lord, can we be somebody worth submitting to? And all the women said, amen, come on. Coming for y'all next. See what Paul writes for the believers who have been appointed to the role is, is husband. Kim, you can come jump on the keys if you don't mind. Um, husbands, I, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking to you guys a little bit. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 30 breaks some of that roll down. It says this. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. He did this, verse 27, to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So not that the words are fruitless by any means, but like I told you, even in my opening prayer, one of, you know, my heart, I, I knew we were preaching on marriage and some of y'all maybe even heard we were preaching on marriage and gave it the old eye roll, like, oh, here we go, you know, like, and I wanted to avoid, I wanted to avoid cliches and I know, you know, our demographic, a lot of us have been raised in church and you've probably heard multiple messages on marriage, you know, so, um, I, I wanted to, God, God, give me a word that's going to be fresh. You know, like, don't let this fall on deaf ears. And, and I think a lot of y'all have heard that and read that command, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And yes, 
Christ gave up his life for the church. Christ defined sacrificial love in doing so. Husbands, y'all have been called to love your wives sacrificially, to lay everything down, to love them well as Christ loved the church. And by no means am I trying to discredit or minimize the weight of that verse because the imperativeness of that assignment and God's sacrificial love displayed in him giving his life through the crucifixion, there is no greater act of love. There is no greater deed performed in all of humanity. The event of the cross, the resurrection, the outpouring of his spirit into our inner beings is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity and has changed every fiber of my own being. It's it's the gospel, the good news, the greatest news there ever was. I'm just suggesting that this morning in a room where the majority of us are, are maybe familiar with that instruction, I'm not gonna delegate the majority of my chat with with husbands to to love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's this call to sacrificial love. It's weighty, it's a a big calling. You need the Holy Spirit's help. Um, I I mean, that command is monumental. It holds incredible gravitas. But the thought I wanted to share with us specifically within this message and felt most pressed to discuss with the husbands of Destiny Church in Marshfield, I felt like the Lord wanted me to challenge you with was, was a thought I was challenged with from a book called You and Me, Marriage, for, Marriage in Light of Eternity by Francis Chan that I read over quarantine. And, and there was a, a question that the author, Francis Chan, targeted specifically to husbands. And when I read it, it was like my heart and my mind like erupted with revelation uh, concerning my role as a husband. And my prayer is that in the same way this question rocked me is that it would rock you. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, it says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. In this book, Francis Chan writes, he he uses this to ask his readers who fall into that demographic of being a husband and those who eventually will step into that role. He, He asks them this groundbreaking question, husbands, are you preparing your wife to meet Jesus? Are you preparing your wife to meet Jesus? Because I would concur that the majority of men in this room, even as I look around, I mean, I know y'all, y'all are my people. I love you guys. I've been in your homes. I've eaten eaten meals with you. The majority of the men in this room, y'all make legitimate efforts to love your life, to love your wives and love your kids with everything in you. I've seen it. You you guys love hard and you love well and, and you go out and you work hard to provide for the needs of your family and you make efforts to be present in your kids' lives and, and to support their growth and, and, the, and their involvement in all types of things. We, we make efforts to pursue our wives intimately. Hey now, you know what I'm saying? We do. We do it all. I've watched y'all do it all. Except the last one. fired up sometimes start saying crazy things. <laughs> Yet amidst all of these good things, all of these great things in, in our role as husbands, 
Have we neglected the most primary and purposeful part of our role as a husband? Have we failed to prioritize the responsibility of preparing our wife to stand in front of Jesus when it's all said and done? To stand in front of the Father when it's all said and done? And and, and men, there is no large amount enough of money that will purify. There there is no quantified amount of thoughtful date nights that will purify. There isn't enough words you can jot down into a million love letters that will purify your wife. There's only one way she can be presented as perfect and holy, and that's when she's in a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. Husbands, are we leading our wives to Jesus? And when you think about that, when you think about that, it would make sense that Paul would command wives, submit to your husbands as he leads you to me. That's why I want you to do it. You you can see where it's, there's harmony. In in fact, for the the marriage to be most peaceful, in fact, I'd even argue, is for that to take place. You know, it's funny. A lot of you in the church, you might know Parker Hamilton. He's one one of the young adults in our church, and he's just an incredible kid. I I really love him. We read the Bible together on Wednesday mornings. And, um, you know, I was quarantined for the last month, so I'm reading the Bible at my kitchen table. I'm waking everybody up, so I just start, you know, FaceTiming Parker on my phone and and sitting in my car in the driveway, and we're reading through the Bible together. And, you know, we're sitting there talking, and Parker starts telling me about his girlfriend, and I'm like, come on, dude, this is supposed to be about the Bible, okay? It's not true. I asked him because I'm nosy. But I mentioned me and Parker reading the Bible. You know, we're, we're, we're reading through the book of John together. And, you know, we're at, we're at this part where Jesus is trying to prepare uh, his disciples for his descent and his death. And, um, you know, he washes their feet. He sits down and he has dinner with them. But then he says something so profound in John 14, 27. He, you know, and it just... John 14, 27, he says, I'm I'm leaving you with this gift, peace of mind and heart. And and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Come on, there there are certain things that can only be found in Jesus. And the world can't offer them to you. He said, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. God is passionate about peace. He calls us to be peacemakers. He loves unity. He desires it in his body. He wants your marriage to be full of purpose, but but also I really believe he wants your marriage to be full of peace. And marriages are full of peace when they're in the will of the Lord. And that's when a wife submits to her husband, right? And, And a husband leads his wife in a godly manner. Now, maybe you're in the room and you find yourself in a, you know, maybe in a point in time where the marriage situation in your life is complicated. It's complicated and it's getting, you know, it's, it's common in our culture. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor Mark, I'm here. I'm even bringing the kids with me. Can't get the husband to come. Or can't get the wife to come. She wants nothing to do with the Jesus thing. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you find yourself unequally yoked and for, for whatever reason, and I, and I want to point you, I want to lead you, you know, we could spend a whole other time, and that's maybe another message we'll do on another day, but 1 Corinthians 7, it gives you all types of instruction and, you know, on, on what to do, but essentially this is it, the role remains. Respect your husband, honor your husband, submit to your husband, wives love your husband, or wives, wives love your husband, husband loves your wives. 
The command remains. If you're in that situation, come on, I want to pray for you. And I want to believe for breakthrough. But, But as I close, I want every believer in the room walking out of this worship center, every believer asking themselves, am I submitting to others out of reverence for Christ? Am I deeply honoring the people I'm surrounded by? Wives, you specifically, are you allowing your husbands to lead? Are you respecting your husbands unconditionally? And husbands, are you preparing your wives to meet Jesus? The greatest calling we have. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.